wonderful to see so many folks back with us this morning. Those who are able to be, this is awesome. Grateful that you are here to worship the Lord with us this morning. Please take out your Bibles and turn to the Gospel according to John, the sixth chapter. John, chapter six, if you would please. In John chapter 6, we're going to begin reading this morning, verse 35. John 6, verse 35. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. That's our key phrase this morning. Jesus said, the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. With that thought in mind, I have a little article. It's an old article by a brother named Bob Plunkett, or I believe he's a brother in Christ, that I've had for some time, and I've adapted it just a little, but I want to share it with you, keeping in mind what Jesus said in John 6, in verse 37. The title of his article is, What's Wrong with the Ball? Have you ever noticed you won't if this don't work. Have you ever noticed how many baseballs they throw out of a game? If the ball hits the ground, the umpire will look at it, pitch it out. If the batter doesn't like the ball, sometimes they throw it out. If the pitcher can't get it over the plate, he asks for a new ball. I think the umpire just puts that one in his pocket and throws it back to him a little later and the pitcher never knows the difference. It amazes me now to think of the baseballs we had to play with when we were boys. They were cheap to start with and after we hit them a few times, they became lopsided. You ever had one of those? How many of you guys that are maybe a little more gray had one of those? Oh yeah. You try to shape it back, play with it a little longer, oh yeah. They looked like a real thick pancake, but we'd beat on them trying to get them round again. By that time, the seam was broken and the stuffing came out. Mother would take a needle and thread and sew the seam again, and we played with them a little while longer. Then his point. Have you noticed that not too many things are patched up anymore? We just throw them away. I guess that's the sign of an affluent society. When clothes are torn or worn, we buy new ones. We pitch them out. The car starts giving us trouble, we trade it. When appliances start making strange noises, we get new ones. Broken furniture is typically not fixed, but replaced. I am afraid that relationships are now in this category as well. 
We don't patch marriages anymore. We just throw them over to the side and try again. I am so thankful, he writes, that God is not like this. God always looks for the good left in the ball. He doesn't pitch it out because it has a spot on it. He doesn't pitch it away because it has been so roughed up or knocked around that it is left flat, empty, coming apart at the seams. Have you ever had one of those times in your life when you were just flat? When you were just empty, when you felt like life, you were coming apart at the seams? The beautiful thing is, is that God doesn't toss us away when we're like that. Rather, by his cleansing, healing, renewing power, he cleanses, heals, and he binds up. God binds up the dirty. God binds up the beaten around. God binds up the broken. That others would and maybe even have discarded and tossed aside instead. Let me give you some examples from the Bible of what an awesome God we have who doesn't pitch away the broken, those who are coming apart at the seams, those whom life has beaten the stuffing out of. King David wrote in Psalm 27 in verse 10 in the English Standard Version, For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. God does not discard those whom others would. Also, David writes in Psalm 34 and verse 18, the Lord is near to those that have a broken heart. You ever had your heart broken? The Lord is near to those that have a broken heart, and he saves such as have a contrite spirit. The writer of Psalm 147 in verse 3 agreed when he wrote that God heals the brokenhearted and God binds up their wounds. Was King David as well when King David was soiled and he was stained and he was broken by sin. His life was coming apart at the seams because of his sin because he knew he had let God down. Yet he writes in Psalm 51 verse 7, wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Isaiah said, though your sins are like scarlet, they'll be as white as snow. Though they are crimson, they'll be white like wool in Isaiah 1.18. And one of the most beautiful New Testament passages to me on this is 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9 where it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is there to bind up the broken, to heal the hurting. God wants to use us, not discard us. I want to take a look at some New Testament instances of this, and I want you to just think about these broken, shattered lives, these throwaways, these tossaways, these that, that others would just throw away. What God has to say about it. We're going to go through, kind of, as they come in line here in the Gospel of Matthew to begin with. Matthew chapter 4, would you please? As this morning we talk about the throwaways. The throwaways. Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 23. 
Matthew chapter 4, beginning at verse 23. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. What's significant about this passage is that you will remember the dynamic of that day. You will remember from the story of the boy born blind in John chapter 9 that whenever anybody was afflicted in those days, most people believed it was because they had done some terrible evil in their lives and God was paying them back. That was the, that was the popper, popular cultural thought. And so when you have these paralytics and these epileptics and these demon-possessed people and they're bringing them to Jesus, these were people that others didn't want too much to do with because they figured, oh, what terrible people they are that God has afflicted them with this. But look what Jesus did. He didn't worry about what their last name was. He didn't worry about how they looked. He didn't worry about the kind of bank account they had. They brought them all to him. And Jesus took those that others would throw away. And he healed each and every one. Then there were the lepers. They were throwaways, Matthew 8. They were throwaways to everybody else, had to live in their own colonies. Leprosy was a terrible blight. These people were throwaways to everybody, except Jesus. Matthew 8, verse 1, when he came down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. Behold, the leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Don't miss the word if here. I wonder what was going through this leper's mind. If you are willing. Was it perhaps he was thinking, why would Jesus be willing to heal somebody like me? Everybody else has thrown me away. I've got this terrible disease and I've got to, to live in this colony and, and life is worthless and, and useless. Lord, if you are willing. Lord, Lord, I know you can, but are you willing? Are you willing for even me? If you are willing, he says, I don't know what he was thinking, and the text doesn't say, but I think that word if is very significant. Lord, if you are willing, you can. He knew he could. Jesus put out his hand and touched him. Notice the first three words out of Jesus' mouth. I am willing, even for you. You may have your doubts, and everybody else may have thrown you away, but Jesus said, I'm willing to do it. I am willing. Be cleansed, and immediately his leprosy was cleansed. There's so many throwaways in the scripture, so many people in the scripture that are, are seen as less than, that are seen as, as garbage to be disposed of, but not to Jesus, not ever to Jesus. Jesus came to clean up, to heal, to bind up, not to discard those who were roughed up, whose lives were difficult. Turn to me in your Bibles to Matthew 9, the very next chapter. Starting at verse 9 of Matthew 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. He said to him, follow me. So he rose and followed him. If you think around April 15th that IRS agents are unpopular in our country, you should have lived back then with tax collectors. It was even worse, okay? 
So he rose and followed him. Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house that behold, many tax collectors, not just one, there's a whole bunch of them, and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Your teacher is eating with refuse, with throwaways, with the dirty people. Doesn't your teacher know better, these highly refined religious folks? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But you go and learn what this means. I desire mercy. Jesus said, I've got a place for the broken. I've got a place for those who are busted. I've got a place for those who are hurting. I've got a place for the dirty. I desire mercy for them and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. These sinners were throwaways to the religious world of the first century, but not to Jesus. Look in Matthew 20. It is amazing to me as I, as I looked this over and thought about it and how many others we could put in here. But do you know how common this is throughout the Bible? And keep in mind, it's the first time you and I sinned. We became dirty. Isaiah 64, 6 says all of our righteousness is like filthy rags. We became a throwaway. We were not pure enough or holy enough to stand in the presence of God once we got roughed up and we got dirtied by sin. We were a throwaway. In Matthew 20, we'll see some more, beginning at verse 29. And we've talked about this in the, in the adult class, but I love this story. As they went out of Jericho, a great multitude followed him. There's people all around him. There's this whole bunch of his disciples and these people that are, that are just so happy that Jesus is there. And behold, two blind men sitting by the road, when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. Here's these two blind men that have nothing to offer Jesus. And a multitude warned them that they should be quiet. They said, You're a throwaway. Shut up. You're not worthy to bother the master. Sit there and be quiet like the can in the corner. You're not worth it. Hush. This is Jesus. Yeah, that's right. This is Jesus. The multitude warned them that they should be quiet. They cried out all the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. So Jesus stood still. One version says Jesus stopped on the way to the greatest event in human history. Two beggars, two throwaways that had nothing to offer except the trust in Jesus that said, we know you can heal us. And all the disciples and all the multitude around and Jesus stops. They might have been throwaways to everybody else, but they weren't throwaways to Jesus Christ. Called him and said, what do you want me to do for you? He's the Lord of the universe. He's the creator. And here's these two blind men that have nothing to give. And they're begging beside the road. And they're sitting there. And the, and the Son of God stops. And he says, what do you want me to do for you? 
It's not just that they weren't throwaways, but they were precious in the sight of Jesus. They said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be open. So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes, and immediately they received their sight and they followed him. In John chapter 4, if you would turn there with me, you want to talk about a throwaway? You want to talk about somebody that nobody wanted anything to do with? You want to talk about a woman whose life, life was shattered? John 4, verse 3. Jesus left Judea and departed again to Galilee. He needed to go through Samaria. So he came to the city of Samaria, verse 5 of John 4 which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, verse 6, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour, that is noontime. woman of Samaria came to draw water. She came there in the middle of the day, in the heat of the day, not with the other ladies, in the cool of the day, of the morning. She was an outcast. She was a throwaway. Her life was a mess was marred by sin for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food and the woman of Samaria said to him how is it that you being a Jew ask a drink from me a Samaritan woman for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans Jews treated Samaritans as though they were throwaways they were like one of these discarded ugly they, they, were, they didn't even want them around they have no dealings with them she, and she says how come you're dealing with me you, you with me. I mean, the implication is that people like you throw people like me away. You don't want nothing to do with me. What's the deal? Jesus explained to her, he said, you're not a throwaway to me. Jesus answered, verse 10, and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. He said, you're not only not so low that I won't speak to you, but I, all I had to do was ask you, and I would give you the living water. You're worth it to me. You're not a throwaway. Time and again, John chapter 8, a few more over. John chapter 8, this is the story of the four Gospels. This is everywhere. John 8, first six verses. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. John 8, 1. Early in the morning, he came again into the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. So here he is. He's come into the temple. He's, he's sitting here. He's teaching. Look what happens. Scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in, a, in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. They didn't care about this woman. Where's the guy? What'd they do? Sit outside of her window because they knew this was going to happen? Did they set her up? We don't know the details. <laughs> but we do know that they were using her. They were using her simply. They didn't care about her life. She was a throwaway. What good was she? She was a woman anyway. And in those days, that's the way a lot of men felt about it. Just, just a possession. So here she is. They bring her in and they, and I don't imagine they helped her in and set her nicely before Jesus. Pretty much, I'm guessing, brought her in and threw her down. 
They said, see this woman, and they could do this whole litany, but they said it only to test him. She was, just, she was just a means to an end. She was just garbage to them. Jesus stooped down, wrote on the ground with his fingers, though he didn't hear, so they continued asking him. He raised himself up. You see, she was just a pawn. She was just a tool to be used to get to Jesus and then thrown away. But to Jesus, she was so much more. He raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground, and then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. And Jesus was left standing alone, and the woman in the midst. They didn't care. You've got to get it. They did not care about this woman. They did not care what they did to her. They did not care how they destroyed her life. She was just garbage to them. And so Jesus gets them out of the picture, and he says, where are those who condemn you? She says, nowhere, Lord. See what he said? Neither do I condemn you. Go your way and sin no more. Jesus wasn't giving her a license to continue in her sin. Jesus wanted her to repent. But the thing is, is that Jesus separated that sinner from her sin. Jesus said to her, go your way. I, the implication is, I love you and you're valuable to me. You go your way. But sin no more. You can't keep on sinning like this. But Jesus understood the difference between sin that is garbage and sinners who are priceless, even when they're broken. In Luke chapter 7, beginning at verse 36, we see another throwaway. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Just another in a mountainous pile of throwaways to everybody except Jesus in the four gospel accounts. Verse 36, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. He went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. You suppose, and I know this is just conjecture, but I have to think these sorts of things when I read a story like this. Just, you don't have to say anything, just think about it. Suppose this woman had never been in that house before. I'm guessing probably not. Think of who lived there. Pharisees had thought they were better than everybody else, and everybody else was garbage compared to them. And here's this woman who's a sinner. She's got some issues. She's a mess. Apparently, in some ways. How much do you suppose it took for that woman? You don't talk about faith. How much do you think it must have taken for that woman, knowing this man that lived in that house and what he was like, and knowing that to him, because he lived on the good side of the track, spiritually speaking, knowing to him what she was for her to enter that house. I suppose that took a little bit. I'm thinking that probably took a whole lot. But she goes in. As we continue on, she goes in with this alabaster flask of fragrant oil, and she stood at his feet behind him weeping, and she began to wash his feet with her tears, wiped them with the hair of her head. She kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Suppose she was wondering what those Pharisees were thinking. Suppose they were upset because she was getting oil all over their nice dirty floor or whatever. 
floor of dirt? I don't know. But I do know in the next few verses, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself, saying, notice he spoke to himself, like, this man, if you were a prophet, I'll have to be louder for the microphone's sake, but this man, if, if he were a prophet, he'd know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him. She's a sinner. Oh, if this Jesus was just who he claimed to be. If, if he could just understand the, the, the throwaway, the filth, the dirty, the ugliness, the brokenness. If he just understood what he's dealing with. Jesus understood. Jesus understood what he was dealing with in that woman, and he also understood what he's dealing with with Simon. Look what he says. Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. Jesus said, you've judged rightly. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. Simon, you really think you're something. Don't you understand that the person in front of you is worth so much more and has done so much more for me? than you would ever dream of doing. You, you gave me no kiss, but this woman hasn't ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Did you notice when Jesus compares the two, he talks about what little Simon did, but then with the woman, he doesn't just say she's done it, but he takes it up a notch. She's done even more than you didn't, than you would have done if you had done anything. Therefore, he says, I say to you, her, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. You know, we could go to other stories. I'm not going to go to these other two, but just for a moment, just think about it. You know, in the first century, like today, there were many people, even religious people, that thought that the children would throw away some of the children. If you read Matthew 19, 1 through 3, and the little children, and they don't want Jesus to be bothered because these little children are, are insignificant. And Jesus says, no, 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 you've got it all wrong. Bring the little children. Let the little children come to me. You don't understand how priceless they are. On the other end of the spectrum, others have wanted for years to toss aside, toss aside some of the older and the gray-headed amongst us. When we get to certain ages, you know, it's almost like some people think that we're not valuable to society anymore. I think some of the less enlightened societies when it came to their elders, their older people. I think they had a lot better handle on the importance of those older people and their experiences than we do today. I'm reminded that King David in Psalm 37 verses 25 through 28 said, you know what? Older people are not throwaways to God. Actually what he said that I just badly paraphrased is this. I have been young and now I'm old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. He is ever merciful in lands, and his descendants are blessed. Depart from evil and do good, and dwell evermore, for the Lord loves justice and does not 
forsake his saints. David said, I'm old now. He said, but I'm telling you from a lifetime, I know from being young, I know from all of the life it took me to get here, and I know being old, God does not forsake his saints, even in their old age. Isn't that great to know? Why is it most of us that are gray-headed are the ones sitting here doing this? I don't care how old you are, how gray-headed you are, how my reverse mohawk, how bald you're getting. God does not forsake his saints. Period. Not when they're in the nursing home. Not when they're on their deathbed. In fact, not beyond that, because Revelation 14 tells us how blessed are those who die in the Lord. How blessed they are. God doesn't forsake his saints even when they stop breathing. We're not throwaways. You know, we may ache a little bit more than we used to. We may hurt a little bit more getting out of bed. We may be a little slower than we used to be, and it may keep getting worse, but you know what? God loves you just as much as he did the day you were baptized and the day you could do everything ten times more than you can do now. God's love does not change. God doesn't throw us away. Now, let me ask you this. Let me tell you this. Surely there are those times that some would even want to throw away or cast aside somebody who used to be close to them. Somebody who has repeatedly denied them, maybe even cursing them in the process. Maybe, maybe you know somebody that in the past has hurt you really bad. Somebody who has abandoned or deserted or forsaken you when you needed them the most. Maybe you're one of those people that somebody else has thrown away, but you know what? God hasn't. God wouldn't. God doesn't. Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. I'd like to start an illustration by saying if I were Jesus, but that just doesn't even make any sense on any level, so I won't go there. <laughs> the disciples had walked with Jesus for three, three and a half years. One of the prominent ones who was always at the forefront was Peter. Peter had walked on water. We say, yeah, he went in. Yeah, but he was still the only one that took a few steps on water, so that's really something. Peter was the first one to declare, you know, you're the Christ, the son of the living God in Matthew chapter 16. Peter was always one of those guys you could count on. When Jesus was getting ready to be arrested, it's Peter that draws out the sword and, and cuts off the ear of Malchus, the high priest. You've got all these armed soldiers, and he's, you know, Jesus' disciples got two swords amongst them. Peter don't care. Peter's going for it, okay? Peter's one of those guys that you would think out of all the people there, perhaps, as you read the gospel accounts, was closest to Jesus. And yet, the night he was crucified, Peter denied it. Once with a curse. He'd walked with him for three and a half years. He'd done all these things. You'd have thought they was real close. But Peter abandoned, deserted, and forsook the Lord that night, along with all the other disciples. What do you do with somebody like that? You throw them away? Jesus doesn't. Isn't it wonderful to know that even when you and I mess up hardcore, God is not ready to throw us away. Isn't that awesome? 
Even when we deny him with our actions, God is not ready to throw us away. Look at the story of Peter here in Mark chapter 16. Look at the first seven verses. Now when the Sabbath was passed, Mark 16, 1. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. They said among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? When they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified? He's risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples, and Peter. The most important two words in that verse to me. Go tell his disciples to meet him. No, that's not what he says. He says, go tell his disciples what? And Peter. Peter's denied him. Peter's abandoned him. Peter has, has denied him with a curse that final time that he denied him. Instead of throwing him away, you know what Jesus said? He says, you go tell my disciples and Peter that I am not throwing him away. I've still got a place for him. You tell him to come see me. Isn't God awesome? There you will see him as he said to you. Has life knocked you around? No, this is not the invitation. Has life knocked you around? Has sin some days just knocked the stuffing out of you? Does it feel some days like your life? Like maybe that brown picture up there, that one on the right, does it feel like maybe your life some days is coming apart at the seams? Have you, like Peter, failed and let the Lord you love down? If you have, Take heart. Here's why. Because John 6:37 that we began this lesson with, Jesus said, "The one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. I'm not throwing him away if he comes to me." One of the main things I want to emphasize before we close is this. We are in the middle hopefully all of us individually, of really focusing on Save One Soul in 2019, of reaching out to somebody. I wanna, I wanna share with you, as you look at this picture, and you think about this lesson this morning, it applies to all of us who've been broken, who may be heartbroken or discouraged this morning. Those of us who, even if after we've had our sins washed away, yes, it applies to all of us, we have an awesome God, but here's the thing. Where you work, where you go to school, where you shop, there are people still there whose lives are broken. There are people whose lives sin has ravaged. There are people whose relationships have come apart. They're seeking answers. Some will seek it in drugs. Some will seek it in other things. But brethren, I'm here to tell you this morning, as long as Satan is real, and he is, and as long as sin exists, and it does, there are people all around you every day whose lives 
having a party at the seams. You know what they need? They need Jesus Christ. Because they're broken. They need Jesus to heal them. Bob Plunkett concludes his article on baseball that we began with by saying this. How thankful we ought to be that we are not thrown out because we have spots and stains. What's wrong then with the ball? God says, nothing that I can't cleanse and make new if they will but believe and obey me. Turn to me in your Bibles as we close to 2 Corinthians 5. Second Corinthians chapter 5, beginning at verse 14. Second Corinthians 5, verse 14. For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Verse 16. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we've known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Does God have the power to take those and turn them into what was just up there? Does God have the power to take the stained to take the busted, the broken, the coming apart at the seams. Does God have the power to make them new and white again? Scripture says yes, he does. He has the power. And notice that as this comes into focus, notice those old three pictures are still there. It's not that they're gone, they're still there. But guess what? They've been covered. Covered by that which is white and fresh and new. The beautiful thing about God is that when God makes us fresh and white and new, he removes our sins as far as the east is from the west, the old pictures are totally gone. I was once a throwaway. I was lost in sin. I was just another person on the planet whom some didn't consider worthy of much. And I wasn't worth anything to God as long as I had my sins on me. I was a throwaway. But God, through his love and mercy, when I was immersed in the name of Jesus, when, remember, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. You've got to be in Christ. You've got to be covered by the purity of the blood of Christ. And when I repented, was made new again. And now I'm in Christ. I was baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of my sins. Just like the vast majority of you sitting in this room this morning. You were a throwaway the moment you sinned. But God said, oh no, not to me. I'm going to send my son so that I can cleanse their sins. I did send my son so I could cleanse their sins. If you're here this morning and you've never been baptized, 
maybe, I don't know the reason, but what I really don't know the reason to is, is why you've waited so long. But if this morning is the time for you to say, you know what, I, I need to be renewed, I need to be refreshed, I need my sins gone, I want God to clean me up. We can baptize you this morning for the forgiveness of your sins, and we would love to do that. But if you're here this morning, and you're somebody who has been made new and white in the blood of Christ, but your life is still falling apart, maybe life is still beating you up, maybe you've fallen back into sin, maybe you've gotten scuffed up in the dirt of the world again. That happens sometimes. God's waiting this morning to wash you clean once again. For if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Right? That's what scripture says. God said, I'd love to clean you up if you'll just come to me, accept it, and, and follow me. He said, I'll clean you up. You may be broken. You may be beat up, but you are not a throwaway to God Almighty. You're so precious, he sent his son to die so that he could clean you up. If you'd respond this morning, either by being baptized or you just need the prayers of the church, because you're coming apart at the seams, don't sit there in the pew. Let us help you any way we can as we stand and sing. <coughs>